Today is Friday, September 16th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. There is a major battle brewing as migrants were dropped off right near Vice President Harris's doorstep. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. If you agree with that mission, you want to see more of your values represented in the news space, you can help subscribe to this podcast. Give us a rating, share it with a friend. We'd love to have you with us as we go through that news of the cray, as we call it. Trey Gons, Phillips, Billy Hallowell with me as always. Guys, we've made it. It's Friday. It's been, I mean, it goes fast as always, but there's no shortage of, of cray today. There is not. Every day, like we say, lots of cray. <laughs> no, the weeks go by so fast, it's, though. Like yeah. even, even when the news is crazy, it's like time is just flying. And there's a lot to get through, as always, today. You're going to be looking at, uh, Trey, fascinating story, a woman giving her testimony of how she got into sex trafficking, how it happened, and she mm. told the whole story. It is remarkable. We'll talk about that. And then on the main thing, President Biden's not the only old government officials. Uh, there are so many members of Congress that are far older than the age of the population, more so than it used to be. What kind of a problem does this pose? John Stolness has the details on that on the main thing today. But first, we are going to go through the news in 90 seconds. The immigration debate is really heating up after Florida governor kind of kicked things off. Ron DeSantis, he revealed that his administration sent two planes to Martha's Vineyard. They had about 50 illegal immigrants on board. Uh, Then the political back and forth ensued with Democrats criticizing DeSantis and his Christian beliefs, claiming him to be hypocritical. Republicans hit back, arguing that they're overwhelmed at the border, and if they really meant that they would be a sanctuary city or state, that they should be ready to help shoulder the load. You can catch more on that story at CBNNews.com. The global market for human body parts is on the rise, and it's called the red market, and it's a lucrative underground economy, and it's booming. And China is a big player in this market. CBN's Dale Hurd has a compelling full story over at CBNNews.com. And Pastor Carl Lenz is speaking out for the first time since it was revealed he had cheated on his wife. The former Hillsong pastor posted a series of pictures on social media and claimed his family's rebuilding and staying together. And last but not least, guys, a Chick-fil-A employee went above and beyond stopping a carjacking in progress. You can see that video and more over at faithwire.com. And as always, keep up with all the latest news of the day over at cbnnews.com as well. Guys... The Chick-fil-A employee. I mean, it's it's been sort of a joke at this point that they go, they go above and beyond. This When is it going to stop that they're outdoing themselves? I mean, stopping a carjacking in, mid, in midstream? I mean, that's just unbelievable. Well, it's their pleasure. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. all. I, just, I, I think, yeah, this story is wild watching this kid, this guy, he's not a kid, he's a young guy, jump on this, you know, alleged carjacker, take him down, he gets punched in the face, and people are screaming, like, help, yeah. help, you know, and, but because he took him down, the police were able to to get him, and there was a pretty shaken up woman and her, and her baby there, the whole thing's wild. And, you know, I think part of it is, obviously, the, you know, parents are doing a good job raising their kids, you know, when, when these younger teenagers or whoever are, are stepping in and bravely doing the right thing. But also I think Chick-fil-A just creates a good atmosphere. Yeah. You know, like I, I've had friends who work there, family members who've worked there and they have good bosses. They like going into work. So I think part of it is just, you create a good working atmosphere. People are more willing to go above and beyond to do, uh, to do things like this. And obviously this is way above and beyond, but still. Awesome. <laughs> right. Hopefully he's in for a big raise uh, this year <laughs> well, after, after those yeah. actions. 
directions. Yeah. Well, I got a tip. I just going to tell you quickly that he's done something like this before. So we'll, that's oh, just really? like a hint. We'll come back to it maybe at some point. Yes. Oh, wow. I got to dig into it. Yeah, but there, I know. There may be more there. Well, and I know we've reached out. So hopefully we hear from him. We get, we get maybe a little bit more on the story. So we'll keep you posted on that for sure. We're going to go into our next story here. And girls do porn. They became sort of an infamous name in pornography and sex trafficking. Trey, what's the background here? And we've got a remarkable testimony as well. Yeah, so from about 2012 to October of 2019, Girls Do Porn was up and running. It was one of the most uh, prolific accounts on Pornhub, which is obviously the world's largest pornography platform. Uh, So Girls Do Porn was raking in quite a bit of money and a lot of traffic. One of its uh, main creators, Michael Pratt, now a wanted fugitive, uh, he made some $17 million in revenue uh, from that period of 2012 to 2019. Uh, But as it turns out, uh, despite marketing itself as an ethical porn account, which what does that even mean? That's obviously a, a silly, ridiculous thing to be saying, but they branded themselves as this ethical porn platform uh, and Girls Do Porn was actually uh, sex trafficking uh, up to 22 young women, some barely legal. One, I believe, was was a teenager at the time. You wonder, how does this happen? How do you fall into this? Are you kind of into it and then you back out? How does someone get into this? Well, one person is speaking out. What did she say about how this all went down? Yeah, you know, I think, Dan, that's part of the reason why people have not been willing to speak out. So many of these women have not spoken out because uh, they get all these questions like, how could you have been duped? How could you have been coerced into something like that? So they they feel a level of shame themselves. And then it's obviously compounded when people who don't understand the situation uh, are kind of speaking into it. But Jane Doe is the name that she's using. None of these women are using their real names at this point uh, for obvious reasons. These videos are still findable uh, in, in some respects. Uh, so Jane Doe was just 22 years old when she was living in Washington State. She was approached by Girls Do Porn recruiters who essentially tricked her into believing that they were a modeling agency. And this was a modeling gig for sports apparel. It's something that she'd been wanting to break into for a long time. She was a trainer, an athletic trainer. She had done some modeling locally. She thought, man, this is a great opportunity to go to San Diego, branch out in my career and really hit the ground running. Uh, So she talked about this on the Consider Before Consuming podcast. We should note on uh, fight the new drug. Uh, So when she arrived in California, uh, as she explained on the podcast, she was picked up at the airport. She was kept isolated from the public. She said she never interacted with anyone outside of these girls do porn guys. She was taken to two different hotel rooms, uh, pressured into posing and uh, compromising photos. She was forced to sign agreements that were she was led to believe were for business purposes, uh, but they never really gave her time to read them. So she was just kind of, you know, sign these things, hurry up, you know, we got to get this done. Uh, she was ultimately coerced into smoking marijuana, drinking several shots uh, of vodka, and ultimately they held her hostage in one of the hotel rooms, would not let her leave. Uh, Blackmailed her, said, look, we've already got these compromising pictures of you. Uh, We've already got these compromising clips. If you don't stay, we're going to release these to your family. We're going to tell your friends about them. We're going to publish them online with your real name, uh, which they ultimately, unfortunately, ended up doing 
anyway, but she said that from about 9 p.m. to 4 a.m., she was raped repeatedly uh, by a man that she came to realize was the main porn performer for Girls Do Porn, uh, So, which was recently removed from Pornhub. But prior to that, it had a download link, so you could download these videos. Uh, So, you know, it wasn't just online one time. It was online millions and millions of times because people just kept downloading the video. So that's kind of a long answer uh, as, as, as to what happened to her, but that's just kind of scratching the surface really. Yeah. And because you, you know, you mentioned that she was kind of coerced into it, wasn't given time to sign papers, but if you listen to her whole, her whole story, it's, there was a lot of kind of work done by these guys were slick in what they were doing. They built up a rapport. They had multiple calls. They made everything look legitimate. They had a legitimate website so there was all this seemingly legitimate activity that they did building up to it. And then, like you said, when they finally got her there, well, then they kind of you know, secluded her and kept her isolated from everyone else. And then, like you said, all the threats came in and she had nowhere to go. They took her wallet, took her phone. So, you know, for anyone thinking, how could you fall for that? How could you sign those papers? Like she was probably terrified for her life at that point, right? Yeah. Well, and one thing too, that was kind of, uh, she can see in retrospect was, um, was smart and cunning trickery, uh, is that they were only doing things with phone calls. So she would send them an email or a text message and they'd say, well, let me just call you. So on the one hand that was building rapport and camaraderie. And she's thinking, look, these guys are honest guys. They're reaching out and talking to me. They're answering my questions. But then what does the phone call also do? It eliminates any paper trail. So there's no text messages. There's no emails indicating what what might happen to her, uh, right. but she's just kind of led along and then this relationship is being built. Uh, but there's no, there's no, nothing directly tying them back to any wrongdoing because all of their coercion, uh, their, their, you know, kind of clandestine trickery all happened over the phone. Uh, so it's, it's just his, her word against yeah. theirs. Right. And then they get the paper signed by using extreme, you know, intimidation and threats. Right. Now she signed a paper now there's no paper trail for them duping her and it's her word against theirs. And now she's, you know, it's just going to look like she has regret. So it's, it's an awful scheme. And, um, you know, uh, you can read about all the details on that over on faithwire.com. But Trey, oh, before we go, I mean, what, what is the latest with these guys? I know one of them's a fugitive. And what is she hoping to get here, this one Jane Doe, by speaking out? Yeah, so she made clear several times throughout the interview, and this is only part one. They're going to do a second part fight. The new drug is. And in part one, it's about an hour. And she repeatedly said, I'm not after any sort of monetary gain. Uh, One of the things I think was most powerful is she said, when I finally told my family the truth, which, by the way, wasn't until last year, uh, she thought that it would be better to protect her family and bear, you know, just bear the burden of dealing with the abuse she had endured by herself and let her family just believe that she was a pornography performer. Uh, now, of course, she's seen that it would be better to tell her family the truth, and she did, and she's walking through that now. Mm-hmm. But she said one of the benefits of telling her story is it's ruined pornography for her younger brother. She said, and I hope now, being honest about my story, telling people what the, the reality is of porn, maybe it'll ruin pornography for mm-hmm. other people as well. 
as far as what's happening with the Girls Do Porn creators, so the FBI actually just announced, Dan, last week that it's offering a $100,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest of Michael Pratt, the co-founder. Uh, he's been on the run for three years, and he now has been added to the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives list. Uh, Ruben Garcia, the porn performer that we mentioned a, a minute ago, uh, he was sentenced in June of last year to 20 years in prison. And one of the other conspirators uh, uh, for Girls Do Porn, Matthew Wolf. We reported on him at CBN News recently. He just in uh, in July uh, pleaded guilty to committing sexual trafficking by force, fraud, and coercion, and he's set uh, to be sentenced on October 31st. Mm. Well, I hope they spend a long time behind bars, and I hope they catch the remaining uh, fugitive at large. Yeah, definitely be praying for that. And thank you for bringing that story, Trey. And that leads us into our main thing: President Biden, not the only old government official. A lot of members of Congress in the federal federal uh, judiciary and the executive branch are significantly older compared to the rest of the population than it used to be. So what kind of a problem does this pose exactly? Well, John Stolness sat down with Business Insider's Dave Leventhal about a new series called Red, Blue, and Gray, how America's gerontocracy is weakening democracy. That's today's main thing. So, Dave, let's start things off with Congress. Uh, We see President Biden obviously has been aging, but we also look at the members of the senior leaders in Congress, the the majority leaders and the minority leaders. And for the most part, I I think we get a sense of just how geriatric the population of Congress has gotten. But can you tell us, compared to the rest of the country, just how geriatric the population of Congress is? So at its broadest level, Congress today is older than Congress has ever been at any point in U.S. history. And the gap between the age of Congress and the population of the United States of America is as wide as it's ever been. So a couple of specifics. The average age of a member of Congress is a little north of 60 years old. More in the Senate, high 50s for the House, but still around 61 years old. The average American is 38 years old. And and this is one statistic that really jumped out at us uh, as we were doing the reporting for our red, white, and gray project here at Insider, is that only about 5% of members of Congress are under the age of 40 out of all of the members in Congress, whereas about half of all Americans are under the age of 40. So, you know, when you look at it through that lens, in the lens of data and numbers and statistics, the very human reality is that if you're a younger American in your 20s, 30s, 40s, you are not nearly as represented in Congress as somebody, at least generationally speaking, as somebody who would be in their 60s or their 70s. Now, hasn't that always been the case, though? I mean, just based on my recollection, it always seems as though people who are older than the average age are the ones who are elected to Congress, that it's not necessarily a young man or a young woman's uh, place. Without question. And through the history of the United States, the leadership of the government has always been greater, at least in terms of ordinal age, than those who are being led. The difference today is that that gap is wider than it's ever been, but it's also accelerating at a greater rate than we have ever seen before. Something happened about 20 years ago where the average age of Congress, after being relatively stable in the low 50s, suddenly took just a big swoosh up. And now it's in the low 60s. And yet the population of the United States has relatively remained around the same when it comes to the average age of Americans. So so there's a greater disconnect today when we're talking about age and leadership than there ever really has been before. 
Okay, so that's one area that you focus on is Congress, but it's not just Congress that we're seeing an aging curve that doesn't reflect the rest of America. We're also seeing that played out in the federal judiciary as well, aren't we? Without question. And we have an average age in the judiciary in their 60s. There's also a phenomenon which a lot of people don't even know much about or, or fully appreciate at the federal level of, uh, of the courts where judges who effectively have hit retirement age can take what's called, quote unquote, senior status. And what that means is that they may not necessarily have a full, full caseload of the sort that they did when they were a judge appointed for life to the federal bench, but they can get pretty darn close to that. And in fact, we have found judges well into their 70s, 80s, 90s, and even in a few cases above 100 years old, hearing mm. federal court cases and, and still serving in a, uh, in, in a fully-fledged capacity. And uh, that, that really just goes back to that notion of a federal lifetime to appointment to the bench. Well, I know, and I mentioned at the beginning of our of our talk here the, about President Biden, and obviously uh, a lot of Americans talk about the president's age and uh, the way he appears as he's out on the campaign trail and the way uh, he goes about his 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 daily schedule. So when we talk about age in politics, the age of our current president is going to be prominent. And then you consider that at the moment. Again, we're just a couple of months ahead of the midterm elections, but the two leading presidential candidates for 2024 right now are Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And it doesn't appear as if the presidency is about to get any younger, does it? It does not. Now, it, it may yet. If we have this conversation a year from now, a lot could change. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> Without yes, question. That's right. there, are, there are people like, for example, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is very much mm -hmm. knocking on the door on the Democratic side. Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, a, a whole variety of Democrats who would love to have the opportunity to run again. But yes, absolutely. As you just described, the leading candidates, both for the Democratic and the Republican Party, are people who are of advanced age, both in their late 70s now. Joe Biden, were he to win a second term, he'd be 82 years old when he became president for a second term. He'd be 86 when he left office. And Donald Trump is only four years younger. So, you know, mm. on, on one hand, it, you might have people say, well, wait, what's what's really the problem with this? And, and certainly there are people all across the world, all across the country who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, who are making incredible contributions to society, who are living great lives. This is not uh, in any way to say that any individual is not fully capable of doing wonderful things for their family, for their mm -hmm. society, whatever, at an advanced age. But when we look at the trends and when we look at the leadership of this country where a single individual or a group of individuals has incredible power and incredible sway over the lives of all of those other Americans, then uh, greater scrutiny is, is definitely something that uh, we feel is very fair to bring to bear. For sure, because you, you're talking about the aspect of the ability to do the job, both cognitively and from a physical stamina standpoint. But you also make the point, and I think it's the main crux of the subtitle of this series about how America's gerontocracy is weakening democracy. And I'm curious, what are, you, where, what are your thoughts on how is it weakening democracy right now? Well, in many of the stories that uh, we write, uh, we talk about issues, uh, issues that are important to Americans of a certain age or another. And without question, there are different priorities for younger people uh, when it comes to various issues facing the country. That can be everything from technology to energy and the environment, social issues, civil rights. This crosses parties, whether you're on the left or the right, uh, that this very much 
bears out and polling that has been done over the past many years, including uh, polling that we will be doing. And it, it, it becomes an issue then of, of priorities and whether the priorities mm-hmm. of younger Americans are being reflected by those who are much more aged and not to put too sharp a point on it, uh, who may not be around to see the fruits of their decisions uh, or, or the grapes of wrath, if you will, uh, 20, 30, 40 years from now, when those younger Americans are still going to be around dealing with uh, the results of decisions that are being made here today in 2022. I wonder if any of the conversation regarding age in Congress specifically has anything to do with term limits. I know there, Senator Fred Thompson is, is one who comes to mind, who term limited himself in Congress. He said, I'm only going to do two terms because he didn't feel that it was a job that somebody should have for more than uh, two terms in, in office. But we know that there's opposition to term limits and there's support for term limits, and it's not necessarily a, a party line thing. And I'm I'm curious whether or not term limits came up as part of the conversation regarding the the stories that you that you put together term limits have come up constantly in the conversations that we've been having over the span of dozens of interviews that we have done with lawmakers former lawmakers people who are involved in politics in fact we just published a story that uh, talked to six former members of congress who quit congress who left capitol hill in the prime of uh, of their political careers and stepped away because for one reason or another, they they didn't want to deal with it anymore. They felt like uh, they had done everything that they could do, that the climate had gotten too toxic uh, for them on Capitol Hill, or just felt like their powers uh, and their abilities would be put uh, to, to the greater good in a better place or a different place than up on Capitol Hill. But the issue of term limits is huge. One of my colleagues, Brian Metzger, today asked uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, at a press conference that she had, are, are you going to run again for speaker if the Democrats win the House in November? And she wouldn't say one way or another. I'm paraphrasing, but she basically said, well, let's win in November and then we'll see from there. So it, Nancy Pelosi is 82 years old. You have Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, James Clyburn, Steny Hoyer. The list goes on of leaders in the House who are in their 70s or in their 80s who really don't be don't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon or don't want to. Meanwhile, you have plenty of lawmakers who are in their 30s or 40s or even their 20s who are saying, hey, you know, we, we would love to have an opportunity to lead and lead with a new vision for this country and, and perhaps new, new youth and energy that, uh, at least in their opinions, they don't necessarily see reflected fully in the leadership of the current House. I think one of the examples in which we saw the age of members of Congress, and I believe this was in a Senate hearing, uh, was either last year or the year before, when they had when when they had the 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 heads of uh, social media companies talking about their social media platforms and the safety of their social media platforms, and there were a number of the senators who just didn't frankly understand how social media, how technology works, and, and in in an age where we are so technologically advanced now, and everything is done through computers, and and, and it really requires people to be up to speed on all those different kinds of things, especially if you are on a Senate committee investigating. I, I have you. Do you get the sense that some of these some of these folks who are getting up into their seventies and into their eighties and and kind of not, who didn't grow up with these kinds of things that they're kind of being left behind a little bit here? 
uh, a little bit or a lot of bit. And stay tuned. <laughs> I'm trying to be kind. <laughs> well, and, and stay tuned to a story that we have coming up that's uh, going to tackle this very issue. Uh, the The reality is that uh, many of these committee hearings that you have are uh, are being led by lawmakers who uh, just really only have a basic understanding of the way that certain technologies work. That the uh, that not only the technology that you might have in the form of a handheld cell phone or a computer that you use, but also to the the way that electric cars work or or the way that telecommunications wirelessly work. Some very technical stuff that that may not be second, third, or even fourth nature to them. They still have a great deal of power over. So instead of them mm. necessarily having the requisite knowledge that they need and requisite understanding that uh, perhaps their constituents would want them to have, oftentimes they're leaning on unelected aides or or others lobbyists included, uh, who have definitely a special interest in wanting a certain result from government or another, uh, they may have a lot of power, even an outsized amount of power when it comes to ultimate decisions that are being made to have a certain policy or to fund a certain program with taxpayer dollars. The stakes here are real. Uh, This is not imaginary. This is not theoretical. And when you're talking about hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars being thrown around for this program or that, uh, then then you, you can really see how the stakes do become high. Well, there are so many interesting angles to this story, and I think it's an important one. It's Make sure to check out Insider's series of reporting entitled Red, White, and Gray to learn more about how democracy's gerontocracy is weakening democracy. And Dave, if people want to read all of the stuff you guys are doing on this subject, how do folks find your reporting on it? Absolutely. You can go to businessinsider.com and definitely uh, follow all of the reporters on Twitter and elsewhere. We are uh, definitely uh, making sure to tweet about it and to, to disseminate it as much as possible for everyone to read and understand. Very interesting and very important stuff. Dave Leventhal, thank you for joining us today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, John, thanks so much for that conversation there. That leaves us time with one last thing. And Billy, we're going to head over to uh, James 1. Yeah, it's James one twenty two, really convicting verse, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And I don't know. I mean, I feel like we're, we are a talking culture. Everybody's talking, everybody's japping, everybody's fighting. We're fighting about abortion. We're fighting about immigration and we have biblical views on these things. Right. But in those, in that fighting, it's very easy to forget to do. You're talking a lot about it. You're maybe even dehumanizing people. You're, you know, having these arguments, we have to be doers. We can't just be you know, speaking the truth, we right. have to do it too. Yeah. And, and not, you know, abdicating your responsibility as a Christian and just yelling and pointing at government officials for doing things. How can we ourselves help mm-hmm. these situations in one way or another on the ground here, where you're at your circles of influence? If we focus there first, we'd probably solve a lot more problems that way. You know, something along those lines that my pastor said this past Sunday, that's really been sticking with me now for several days is he said, hearing Jesus without heeding Jesus is a dangerous proposition. Uh, And I think that's so true. I think that's really applicable applicable, uh, to this situation, Billy, because it is so easy to kind of know in my head, like, oh, I know what the truth is. And I can kind of pat myself on the back and us sitting in the pews at church, like feeling good about ourselves for knowing what's true. But if we're not living it out, you know, if we're not putting it into practice, how much of a difference is it making and how obedient are we really being yeah and then and then playing like a political football with it right we just sit back on the couch as we watch this we we know what truth is we know what we should be doing and then we just yell at the politicians all day long i mean that's not that's not super helpful 
really to anyone in that situation. So we need to be praying for all the people involved in this and helping where we can help. So, all right, we're going to leave it there for this week. Thank you, as always, for being here. As always, head on over to cbnnews.com, faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. God bless. See you back here Monday.